Well, hello, folks. This is Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist here from Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast's Rogue Agents, formerly known as Rookie Agents, and six of the best music review shows with Alan Porter. And about, I don't know, 18 hours ago, I saw No Time to Die, and Van asked me to put together my thoughts on it. Normally, Van would do sort of an interview style, but he's under the weather right now. So this is just me speaking my thoughts into a microphone. But here we go. Oh, warning, warning, warning. Uh, good chance I'll put out spoilers in this. If you haven't seen it, then go ahead and stop here and come back and check with me after you've seen it. So overall, I really enjoyed it. I think this is my favorite Craig era movie. Up until now, I would have said Skyfall was my favorite. I'm not as taken with Casino Royale as the Bond community in general. So if you're still big on any of those or, you know, whatever your favorites are, that's fine. But I think, and I may give some more thought to it, but I, my gut feeling is that No Time to Die is my favorite Craig. So right up front, I will say my big overarching takeaway from it is that I felt like my joke is I call it double O Logan because to me it was very much the same formula that Marvel used for their movie Logan where you get him a little more old a little more grizzled a little more retired waning part of his career uh, surprise surprise he has a daughter told you there'd be spoilers and surprise, surprise, he dies in the end, sacrificing himself for said daughter. So to me, it felt like the James Bond version of Logan, except while Logan in and of itself in its entire process is a, I don't know, depressing movie, I didn't feel like No Time to Die was wholly depressing. It had its moments of fun, which I really really enjoyed. So I have sitting in front of me my list of negatives and my list of positives. So what I'll do is I'll start with my list of negatives and get them out of the way early so that I can end on a positive note because overall I think this was a positive experience of a film. All right, so my negatives list says, number one, this movie is too long. This is a really long movie, but to turn that into a positive, it didn't feel too long. Its pacing was really, really well done. Uh, that being probably my biggest complaint about Casino Royale is that Casino Royale feels like it it had an almost an ending point and then another ending point and then another ending point. Like the pacing of Casino Royale felt off to me. This is an even longer movie than that, and I thought the pacing was actually pretty good. So my negative is that it's too long, but my positive is the pacing was really well done. Uh, the next thing on my negative list says Lashana Lynch. Now, before everybody wants to get their pitchforks and chase me down and call me names, I thought Lashana Lynch did just fine, like, especially physically. Uh, I was watching during the combat, you know, as a former uh, military member myself, I pay attention to combat tactics and things in the films. And hers was excellent. Like, she obviously did the training. Uh, she had an excellent look. She was fit. Uh, when I say Lashana Lynch, I don't think there's anything wrong with her, per se. I just thought the writing around her character, especially, just wasn't that great. I would say out of all the characters, well, 
maybe Rami Malek's villain might have been written a little worse, but like I don't know. I specifically think about how when she killed the lead scientist guy and he said something about making a virus that would erase her entire race or something like that. And she's like, do you know what time it is? It's time to die. Like that whole sequence just felt corny and contrived, like just shoehorned in there. And there was a couple of times where I felt like her lines just felt shoehorned in. Like they made a real big deal about the, you know, 007 code number. And at the end, she's like, I request that the code number be given back to James Bond when they're about to start their mission. And M's like, granted. And I'm like, this doesn't mean anything. Like, this is this is not paperwork that's being done. I mean, I guess it was just people being nice. But, like, that just seemed like an odd time to have that discussion. It didn't seem like it mattered. I felt like the filmmakers were more concerned about how the audience was going to react about someone else having 007. And, like, it's important that we give it back to him by the end of the movie. And I don't know. I'm a huge 007 fan. And that, that plot point never really bothered me. So it just, I don't know. I, I feel like Lashana got the short end of the writing stick. By no means did I think it was awful, though. I mean, I think she did a good job with the part. Um, of course, I was nervous to see what they were going to do with another 007. You know, that kind of had leaked out already. So I knew that she was going to be 007. And I was nervous how they were going to handle that. But I think the actress handled it well. But I, I think she got the short end of the stick on some of the writing. I thought hers was the weakest writing. Moving down my negative list, um, Felix Leiter. Once again, before you start freaking out, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing wrong uh, with Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter. We all know that. He's wonderful. He's probably, well, he's not probably, he's definitely in my top three Felix Leiters, which include him, Bernie Casey, and David Hedison. And in my opinion, that's great company to be in. The thing that bothered me about Felix is that we had seen an entire movie, and it just so happens to be my favorite one, License to Kill, built around Bond getting revenge for people wronging Felix. And Felix is killed in this movie, and Bond, although, you know, he has moments about it and he does get his revenge, I felt like that should have been a bigger part of his motivation. You know, I wanted his name, you know, on Bond's lips when he kills the main villain. You know, to me, Felix's death should have been the driver for Bond, much like it was in License to Kill. I think if License to Kill didn't exist, this movie would have been fine. But I've seen a movie where Bond's motivation is all about the the wronging and the attempted murder of Felix. And so in this movie, when he is murdered you know i don't know i feel like bond should have taken it harder uh, but they had a lot to cram a lot of story to cram in uh, so there you have it only two things left on my negatives lists that i can think of off the top of my head one i uh, second to last i think a lot of it was telegraphed over telegraphed from the moment early in the film where bond says we have all the time in the world i was like okay there's going to be a significant death at the end of this film it's either going to be her or it's going to be him. And if I had to bet, it's going to be him. That was my thought process the moment he dropped that line. So I thought that was a little heavy telegraph. The other heavy telegraph was when he puts her on the train and she touches her hand to her stomach. I'm like, okay, she's pregnant. All right. Which definitely was telegraphed for the uh, reveal later on. Then when she sent in to kill Blofeld, 
and Bond gets the poison on his hand, Bond starts speaking in an unnatural way in that his hand gestures become a lot larger and prevalent. It was definitely like the director wanting to say, hey, keep an eye on this hand, you know, because this is what's going to get him. And like, I think we all got the point that it was on his hand. And if, that if Bond touched Blofeld, that it would end up killing him. But it just like they really, really, really put put that hand in the foreground. So I found it very distracting. So that's just sort of a minor telegraph. But there was a few telegraph things in the movie that I thought could have been toned down a little more. My final negative is uh, Rami Malek. I think he's a great actor and his character had a really cool sort of design and a cool arc. But I don't know. I... I don't know if it's necessarily his fault or maybe just a trend in Bond villains that they become less threatening and just sort of more like they give these really sort of soft and impassioned speeches all the time. And, and I mean, I know all Bond villains have got to give their Bond speeches, but I don't know. They, they It's like they all sort of go for like a soft menace now. So he kind of didn't feel unique to me. Um, it, it just, I don't know. I, Go, let me go to another comparison to License to Kill. All right, so License to Kill had France, France Sanchez as their main villain. And, man, he's a cool villain because, you know, he's a little more outgoing and he's he's a sort of a physical match for Bond. You know, he's, he's strong and he's got that South American machismo and he's rewards loyalty. He's not just evil for the sake of evil. You know, he's... That's the the difference. That's sort of the flip side of the coin of what we see with Rami. It's not necessarily Rami's fault. Like I said, I think there's this trend I've seen in softer Bond villains. I guess where they're, you know, more cerebral and not as a physical threat. And it would have been nice to see something more like that. And I had to laugh because one of the you know rumored spoilers around Rami's character was that it might be the new version of Dr. No. And they even had sort of the Dr. No plastic suits in the virology areas. And I would have thought that was really cool. And I almost feel like maybe that was actually guessed or leaked by the fan community because that was one of the earliest leaks I'd heard. And then they changed it to like, what was his name? Lucifer Safin or something like that. I'm like, you should have just called him Dr. No. Like even if the fans guessed it, and that was part of your plan to begin with, and you changed it just because it was guessed, it was still cool enough to let it stick. He he, he should have been a new version of Dr. No. I think that would have been just fine. But yeah, overall, those are my negatives, and the, and they're minor. They really are. So that took a while to get through my negatives. Let, let's get to the positives, because they definitely outweigh the negatives. I already talked about the great pacing. Let's talk about the Hans Zimmer score. Um, Hans was not afraid to lean into the James Bond theme, lean into James Bond history with cues from Honor Majesty's Secret Service. The score was fantastic. Um, Not really a positive or a negative for the theme song. I had successfully avoided the No Time to Die song by Billie Eilish. Uh, Hadn't heard it at all until I saw it in the theater uh, yesterday. And I thought that one was just, like, serviceable. Like, I thought it was okay. I did not like it. it. It's definitely not a Shirley Bassey or or a Gladys Knight. You know, those are some of my favorites. It's definitely not in that league to me, or Tina Turner, by that means. But it's, it's serviceable, and it's okay. I mean, Sam Smith has no worries about anyone taking his bottom rung trophy from me. <laughs> and I know that's all subjective. 
So back to the positive. Cinematography on this movie was really good. Like this is a good looking film. Like the way the scenes are shot, you know, the, the lightings, the colors, the sets, like it's a beautiful movie. Uh, so hats off to the crew uh, for that one. And hand in hand with that, the action. Oh my gosh, the action was super hot. Excellent action. I mean, the, the definitely the one that stands out most in my mind is the Cuba scene. Wow, how good was that? Speaking of the Cuba scene, one of my big highs is Anna de Armas. I don't know that I'd seen her in anything else before this. I heard she was in Knives Out. Haven't seen that yet. But Anna de Armas' character, I think it was Paloma. Wow, she was awesome. I mean, she looked great. Her combat was great. Her, just the way she played it, like her and James played so well together. It was a very playful, it was just fun. Like she was fun to watch and impressive to watch. And that, that's kind of going back to my Lashana Lynch thing. I felt like Anna de Armas got really good writing around what she had going on. But again, I felt like Lashana got sort of the sort of the short end of the stick. That's hard to say. She got the short end of the stick when it came to writing, even though I don't think it was terrible, just just a slightly noticeable. But let's focus on the positive, which is Anna de Armas, and she was awesome. Uh, one of the other f- little things again that gave me a thrill was to see the dots from like Doctor No. How Doctor No begins with the colored dots as the credits roll. They did that same thing with the color dots when they began the opening credits of this film. And I was like, oh, very cool. Very cool Dr. No throwback. So, wow, this was a big movie. It was full of uh, emotion and full of action. It was really well shot. It did make me laugh and smile in a couple places. So, I mean, overall, I think this is a, this is a good end to the Craig era. And uh, ending on the highest note that made me very happy because, you know, we all, spoilers, know how it ends with the death of 007, well, with the death of James Bond. And for those of us who are big Bond nerds who stayed all the way through to the very, very end of the credits, we'll know the last thing on screen said, James Bond will return. And that made me very, very happy because that's the character that I've known my whole life, the character I've loved my whole life, and I'm really glad that the production company, the Eon folks, put James Bond will return. Um, Because, you know, the character needs to endure. I've had some side conversations with uh, friends and and fellow podcasters on this network about what they could do next. And that's kind of the most beautiful thing about how this movie ended. What they can do next is such an open door. I mean, you can do anything you want with this going forward. I, I... Feel that No Time to Die is the end of the Craig era. I think the Craig era came out at the same time the Marvel movie era happened. And so they felt like they had to tie all the movies together to make sort of a big storyline because that was what was really working for Marvel. And I think that will always be how it's remembered. That the Craig era is its own James Bond universe sort of unrelated to all the other stuff that came before or loosely, very, very loosely related to things that came before it. But it's its own story. And I think that was the influence of the Marvel era. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that the Craig era will always have its place on the shelf. But I am really, really excited with James Bond will return. Like I said, I've talked to other folks and we, we've come up with ideas. I was just talking to the fellas last night about how you could do a James Bond in World War II 
which would be incredible if you've read any of the young James Bond comic books where he does take place in World War II. Uh, that could be great. It doesn't even have to be young. It could be, you know, you could take Bond and start putting him in different eras. I mean, Bond continuity has always been loose. I know I had a discussion with Van once where we came up with a really cool idea about having two different production companies working on Bond, and each production company gets four years to make its movie. One of them continues to tell modern Bond stories of Bond in the modern age, you know, as of, you know, the moment that, as of now, the moments as they're happening. And the other production crew would be telling retro stories, you know, period pieces, Bond in the 60s, Bond in the 50s, Bond in the 70s, Bond in the 80s, Bond in the 90s. And what you do is you take those two crews and I mean, you have two different actors playing Bond. You have, like I said, they're two different productions all together. And they each get four years to make a movie, and then you offset them. So you get a Bond movie every two years, but it's a different flavor each year. You get a retro Bond, and then a modern Bond, and then a retro Bond, and a modern Bond. Again, different actors playing 007, different cast, different crews. Uh, I think that would be a really, really cool way to go forward, but that that's just speculation. I'm just very, very glad that it said James Bond will return, because that means we are going forward. We're going to get more James Bond stories. And with the Craig era being done, you know, the Daniel Craig James Bond having told his story, it's now wide open to just start over in any direction that they want to go. And uh, I'm excited to go there with them. So I have rambled on for quite a while. Those are my overarching thoughts on No Time to Die or Double O Logan, as I'm calling it. Uh, I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. I mean... I liked Logan just fine. Uh, so, again, I think this is Craig's strongest outing. Um, I like the film overall. I look forward to watching it again, although it is really long, so you have to carve out the time for that. But, um, you know, hats off to Daniel Craig and the entire crew for putting together a, a really solid final entry into the story of the Daniel Craig 007. I'm excited to see where we go from here. I'll catch you guys around. This has been Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist for On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And our podcast, as always, will return. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.